0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning machine keeps turning mm-hmm. death and hatred to mankind poisoning their brainwash mind welcome to the anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia on the national community radio satellite listen to the anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World world this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio network this program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au it normally comes to you from the studios of 3cr in Melbourne because of the stage 4 lockdown we are broadcasting outside 3cr the radio station itself although obviously we've got a person in the station who's coordinating uh, what's going on so if there are any technical dif- any technical issues during the program my apologies but uh, we do what we can in what Anarchy is all about? Anarchos without rulers. An anarchist society is a society which is based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. It's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Why those two basic principles? Very simple. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Uh, well, it's inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power and whole wealth in common and share wealth to uh, starve those who continue to make decisions for us of the oxygen they need in order to make those decisions on our behalf. Now, I'm going to... This uh, program can be heavily slanted towards COVID-19. Obviously, in Victoria, especially in the Melbourne metropolitan regions, things were difficult. Uh, Cases still... Continue around three to four to five hundred. So deaths are increasing, especially in the aged care sector. So, I think it's important that uh, we continue to look at this issue because it's having a profound impact on uh, each and every one of us in a different way, obviously. So, I'd like to start off by talking about the human COVID 19 family. Do you like that? The human COVID 19 family. And uh, there is a range of opinions in this country and obviously overseas. About the COVID-19 crisis, and uh, I don't think we should be either concerned or alarmed about a range of opinions. There's always a range of opinions when uh, society is in crisis, even when society is not in crisis, about a whole variety of subjects. But I'd like to go through the five branches. What I think, what I think, are the five branches of the human COVID-19 community. Obviously, some are more important; others, some are minuscule, and I include them for the sake of. The, uh, completeness, others uh, much larger as we go through this over the next you know, 20 minutes or so. I'll uh, explain what I'm thinking. something I've been thinking about for uh, a number of weeks because I have been surprised by the range of responses and uh, when you think about it, uh, it's important to c- categorise the responses and uh, look at the responses and see what people are thinking in this particular direction because whether we're like it or not, we are part of the same community, whether we like it or not. We are in this together. Not that we are—we uh, all resolve the issues together, but we are in it together. We are part of that community, especially if you live in Victoria, where uh, the borders have been closed, and uh, it's a closed community. And obviously around Australia, there are various uh, degrees of uh closure of borders and various degrees of closure of human activity. So let's start. I think the first group that I think I'd like to look at, it. it's a hoax. Now, I've been surprised by people I've known, I've felt were rational human beings who think the whole thing is a hoax. I mean, uh, maybe they've taken a, a, a word out of the uh, Trump lexicon, but it's a hoax, the whole thing is a hoax. So that has been over 600,000 deaths worldwide in the last uh, four to six months. And although there have been millions of people infected with the virus, as far as they're concerned, it's a hoax. So why would people think it's a hoax? I think, obviously, a mistrust of government is part of that, mistrust of authorities is part of that idea. But why would you look at the scientific evidence and think it's all a hoax, it doesn't exist? Well, you need to remember the denial part and parcel of the psychological response that human beings have to situations which they have no control over. And I think if you deny something happened, like somebody says to you, you've got cancer. If you deny the fact that you've got cancer, it'll eventually kill you, you know, if you forego the treatment. But if you deny it, it gives you some measure of hope that everybody's wrong that it's all a hoax, that all the figures are made up, that none of it's real. So I think those, most of those who think it's a hoax, most people who think it's a hoax, most likely have a large element of denial in their response to the COVID-19 crisis. Now, this is a minuscule number of people, but there are people out there who think it's a hoax. In the next group, I I describe as the one plus one equals three brigade. And uh, it's an interesting group. Social media has given people with uh, opinions which don't follow scientific orthodoxy, uh, a a mechanism by which to find other people who think in the same direction, a mechanism by which to organise. And it has become quite an interesting group or subgroup. Again, it's minuscule in comparison to the rest of the population, but it is there. And the 1 plus 1, 3 brigade is broken up into... Two subgroups. The first group is those who... I mean, the thing about uh, the 1 plus 1, 3 brigade is they all believe that the virus is real, okay? Uh, Unlike those who think it's a hoax, they believe the virus is real. But the question is, did the virus cross the human-animal barrier? That was the cause of the virus. Or has the COVID-19 come from another source, and the one plus one equals three brigade believes it comes from another source. And they've broken up into various factions, as I've said before. There is one faction, which is not politically sophisticated, which looks at, uh, I think it's the 5G network, chemical trails, powerful authorities you know around the world trying to create a world government and introduce compulsory vaccination. Now, these are ideas which float around social media or unsocial media, asocial media, as many people call it, uh, which uh, have gotten a little bit of traction, and a lot of people think uh, this is the reason, this is the cause. Now, the more politically sophisticated, those who have been around a while who are in part of the one plus one equals three brigade, normally look at the situation as it. Due to Mossad or the CIA or the Russian Secret Service or the Commonwealth or the uh, Chinese Communist Party, there's some skull, political skullduggery to remove our rights and liberties. That uh, the virus was introduced in the community so that they could use as an excuse to max- vaccinate people, uh, introduce Agenda 21, uh, create a world government, and the list goes on and on. Obviously, there are many theories as there are issues. So why does the one plus one equals three brigade deny the scientific evidence? Obviously there's that suspicion of government and the suspicion of authorities, but it goes much deeper than that. And I think when people find themselves in a situation they have no control over, they need to apportion blame. They need to point the bone at somebody. They need to hold somebody responsible for what is happening. Uh, in 1902, when the bubonic plague hit uh, Sydney, uh, Sydney residents burnt down the homes and businesses of Chinese residents because they believed the Chinese were responsible for the introduction of the bubonic plague into Sydney, although the real cause was a, a ship which was infected with infected cargo and rats. You know, that's historically Historically, people are always looking. Escape gates, uh, not just people without power, people in powerful positions. So, the one in plus one equals three brigade, you know, may have a germ of truth into what they're thinking, but then they're looking for facts, esoteric facts and figures to uh, reinforce their opinions. And social media gives you. The world's knowledge at the uh, touch of a button. Obviously, you can always find something to uh, reinforce your opinion. So, again, this is a minuscule part of the community, but it is part of our community, and I think it's uh, we need to uh, accept that that we all don't think in the same way. Now, obviously, I have uh, I think the uh, it's not a hoax. I think mean, being a doctor and treating people, it is not a hoax. And there, uh, those who think it's a hoax normally. Uh, change their minds when they catch the disease or a close family member or friend captures the, the, the disease. The one plus, plus one equals three brigade. Well, obviously they're uh, setting their ideas. They'll find facts and figures, which they think are facts and figures to uh, reinforce those ideas. And again, they are part of our community. So uh, denial and scapegoating is part and parcel of, of the human experience in dealing with situations we no control over. Then we've got another group which is significant, and uh, well, again, it's a minor group, but it's a significant group, and they don't need social media to trumpet their ideas. These are religious fundamentalists of all uh, all religious persuasions. You know, the major religions, minor religions. There are many people in our community. I'd you know about five percent who think, who believe, who not think but believe implicitly that COVID-19 is God's punishment because the human race has turned its back on God's teachings. It's turned its back on what is written in religious texts. And uh, historically, for thousands of years, plagues and pandemics have been seen as God's revenge against the human race for uh, deviating from a path which has been set... Uh, by God for the human race, and there are people in our community who, again, believe the COVID nineteen crisis is real. The COVID nineteen uh, virus is real. It has real impacts on the community, but they just they um, rationalise it by seeing it as God's revenge on the human race for not following the teachings. That dictated that religious set. And these ideas cross all religious groups. Uh, Obviously, there are fundamentalists in all religious groups, and they cross all these. And again, this is the belief system. It's like... It's a hoax and the one plus one equals three brigade plus uh, uh, the opinions of uh, many religious fundamentalists around the world. It's a belief system which doesn't rely on facts, doesn't rely on rational analysis, doesn't rely on scientific evidence or tries to uh, cherry pick bits and pieces of uh, information from here and there. So these are three groups in our community which have an impact on the way people think. But again, these are very small sections of the community. But they do have an impact. They are part of the human human COVID-19 uh, uh, family. They are part of that family. You know, that's, that's the way it is. Then we have a large group, quite a large group, which I call the young and the restless, from 15 to 30. Now, these are the people who have been asked to make extreme sacrifices in our community, extreme sacrifices in our community in order to contain the spread of the virus amongst those, COVID-19, amongst those that are most vulnerable, as we are seeing with the increasing death rate in Victoria, the elderly and those co Now, it's a fact that most young people who catch the virus, unless they've got significant comorbidities, will not die from the virus. Some of A small number will end up in intensive care, but the great majority do not will not die. Now, this particular group from about 15 to 30 years are quite an angry group, and it's angry for a number of reasons. One, because their education has been forfeited for the next few years. It's been... You know, the plans they had for themselves have now been shut in a heap, irrespective of whether you do homeschooling or not. The fact is that uh, it's becoming more and more difficult for uh, people, younger people, to continue their education because of the continuous interruption. The next thing that young people are concerned about is when you're young, you're trying to establish yourself, you're trying to create friendship groups, you're trying to uh, uh, find your place in the community. And social isolation means that, in terms of mental health, in terms of anxiety and stress, a significant proportion of the increased uh, health issues, psychological issues which afflict our community as the pandemic uh, uh, increases in intensity are the young. And uh, then the third thing is jobs. Now, most young people who are doing education part-time, who've got to pay a HECS debt, find themselves in casual, uh, non-fulfilling work. Now, most of that work in the service sector is now dried up. So they find themselves in a situation where they've got no work. And thirdly, the 15 to 30 group, I think, are the most... uh, educated in terms of climate change, the most educated in terms of the climate emergency, and they're quite annoyed, angry in some quarters, regarding what we have done as a community in terms of addressing the issue of climate change in our society. We have done very little to address that issue. We've ignored that issue, especially in Australia, being the highest per capita emitters in the world. By a long run, we've done exceptionally little. So, young people between 15 and 30 are continually asking themselves why should I make this sacrifice? Why should I make all these sacrifices? Why should I make sacrifices regarding my education, regarding my economic future, regarding my friendship groups, regarding me developing myself as a human being, regarding taking action against climate change? Regarding against the increasing anxiety that I have to deal with, why do I have to make all these sacrifices for these old people, who, to a significant degree, have landed us in this situation because of the way the society is organised, because they have pursued the dollar at the expense of uh, every day of the community. So. It's a typical portion of the population. So when you hear about people, you know, being found at a party, or they're breaking out, or they've, you know, crossed the border illegally, I mean, young people are normally, uh, um, you know, they're full full of energy. They're young. They're restless. They're trying to establish themselves. So there is increasing issues regarding about young people saying to themselves, "Why should I make?" the sacrifices for sexual community, which, you know, one, landed us in this situation, but two, uh, which, um, you know, um, you know, is destroyed my future. Then we have what I describe, and this is nothing new, is the fifth part of the COVID-19 human family, and it's the silent majority. The silent majority. Those who accept the science wear the mask, accept what's happening, do the best they can for their children, try to uh, maintain their jobs. But this group is now beginning to question, especially in Victoria, is beginning to question the strategies that have been used to contain the COVID-19 crisis. Is it going to be worth the bankruptcies we're going to see, the destruction of the lives of tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people in this country? Is it it worth going through all this in order to uh, have future generations pay this debt for us? I mean, so people are beginning, especially people of working age, people who are still uh, mortgaged up to their necks because of uh, uh, because of uh, personal debt, because of uh, extraordinarily high housing loans, because of the overheated property market, and all this goes on and on. So we've got these five groups, and obviously the young and the restless and the uh, silent majority make up a significant proportion, I think, over 95% of uh, those, or over 90% of those in the community that are... Uh, attempting to tackle COVID-19. So we've got these five groups rubbing shoulders to shoulder, interacting on social media, interacting on the street. I think it's important that we need to understand how different groups are responding, what they're thinking, and uh, the question remains, has more and more sacrifices that need to be made to contain COVID-19? Is Australia... Is Victoria following the right strategy? Now, I'll look into that in, a, in a five minutes or so. Now, another issue I'd like to address is, and this is I've had many questions about this over the last few months, is people die. They do die. I mean, that's the nature of humanity. We die. We are born. We die. There are many diseases in the community, influenza, tetanus, malaria, dysentery. And the list goes on and on. I could talk about the the number of diseases in the community for the next 20 years, and I still wouldn't have listed them all. So how is COVID-19 different? Why is it different to malaria? Two million people die from malaria every year. Why is it different to dysentery? Why is it different to cholera? Why is it different to starvation? That's right. That's a disease. That's a disease, you know, which is fostered on us. You know, people die, continue to die because they don't have enough food to eat in the 21st century. Well, there are three differences. There are three differences which make a pandemic highly dangerous. And these three things are simple. One, pandemic means a worldwide infection and it is usually caused by new virus. To which the human uh, population has no immunity to. Two, as far as COVID nineteen, irrespective of what the Russians are trumpeting at the minute, there is no known vaccine that can uh, mitigate the uh, effects of COVID nineteen. And three, we have the situation where there is no recognised treatment for all the other diseases or most of the other diseases which afflict humanity, there is some herd immunity for the virus and influenza. There is some herd immunity in the community. So there are certain sections of the community which are protected. There is vaccination available to uh, protect certain sections of the community, not the whole community, but certain sections of the community. And thirdly, there are treatments, even for influenza, which go beyond supporting life. I mean, the treatment for COVID-19 is very simple. You, you know, you isolate people in hospital if they're sick. If they get very sick, you put a machine on to breathe for them. And uh, if they survive, that they survive. And if they don't survive, they die. And that's why we see the increasing death rate. So the three differences between what we a pandemic and all the other diseases, including starvation, which obviously is not a disease, it's, uh, it's based on exploitation and inequality, are simple. One, there is no herd immunity or partial herd immunity. Two, there is no effect- effective vaccination. And three, there is no effective treatment. So if the mortality rate is 1% and everybody in Australia uh, caught Covid nineteen—that means two hundred and fifty thousand people would die within six to twelve months in the community. I mean, that's that's the equation we're looking at. All right. Now let's look at treatment. But no, let's look at let's look at what we have done in order to combat the virus. And I'm going to look at two different strategies and then introduce another two strategies. Now, there are enough sovereign states around the world. There's over 200, I think 205 at last count, maybe 206 sovereign nation states around the world, and they have been combating the virus in in, in a number of different ways. Now, solutions range from elimination, which we have seen, Uh, New Zealand attempted to introduce by moving hard whenever uh, any coronavirus is detected to what we see in uh, Brazil, where they've basically let the virus run through, uh, denied that it exists, and uh, we've seen the consequences there in terms of the death rate in Brazil. Now, then we've got the states... uh, the situation in the United States where there's this continuing debate between the economy and the health sector and we've seen uh, differences in approach across the United States and different responses and to give a good degree the high mortality rate in a Western country, not only due to the fact that they don't have a universal healthcare system, but due to the fact that different states have taken different positions on how to contain the virus. So there is no one specific mechanism of tackling the virus. We've got the situation that we see in Australia, where it's a combination of trying to protect the economy and uh, coming down hard. When the second wave began in Victoria about a month ago, the authorities looked at it, decided not to clamp down on the economy, and uh, now we find ourselves in this particular situation. Now. Although there's a stage four lockdown, uh, it's not as effective as a lot of people think because there are still many, many uh, categories of workers who are classified as essential workers who are still circulating in the community. And that's why it's becoming increasingly difficult to contain the virus in Victoria. So we've got two interesting experiments which are happening in two Countries which I find fascinating. One is Sweden. Now, Sweden, which is a population of 10 million, uh, has had minimal economic impact, minimal shutdown, because it's pursued a policy of herd immunity. Currently, there have been over 5,000 deaths in a population of 10 million, which is a significant number of deaths in a population of 10 million, and it can take a long time to create herd immunity in the community. Now, the other uh, Western nation which has had reasonably good success against COVID-19 has been Germany. The population of over 83 million had 9,000 deaths. And I've been very interested in what Germany has done to contain the virus. And Germany has pursued a policy which makes a lot of sense. Now, we know, we know, that COVID-19 has a maximum impact on the elderly and has a maximum impact on those who have got multiple illnesses. So it's a pursuit of policy of minimal disruption to the economy while isolating those that are most vulnerable to the disease and providing services and resources to those vulnerable sections of the population. And it makes sense to a significant degree. Because unless there's a vaccination or a treatment, this virus will not go away. And sooner or later, as a population, as a community, we need to make some very, very difficult decisions. And if the people most at risk are the elderly, those living in aged care facilities as we've seen as the death rate increases in Victoria, and uh, and those with uh, multiple illnesses... It, would, it does make sense to isolate this section of the population while creating herd immunity in the rest of the population. So, we are at a juncture in the next month or so after the uh, six week lockdown finishes in Victoria. Uh, decisions will need to be made whether the economy continues to be locked down, whether, because we live in a capitalist society, that hundreds of thousands of Don't like social media, they don't like mobile phones, they don't even like phones. If you want to leave a message, 0439 395 0439 395 A few websites, pipsy.net. that's public interest before corporate interest.net, P I B C I.net. If you want to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, download the application form. don't have a printer, give us a call, I'll send you a few application forms. We need it. Approximately 550 people to apply for registration as a federal political party. We've got about 430 on the electoral roll, we need about 120. I mean, if uh, in the next few years we are need, we will need major political changes. Some will come through extra parliamentary action, some will come through parliamentary action. So, you're interested in parliamentary action, are you interested in been part of public interest before corporate interest. Go to the website, have a look at our policies, download the application form, join. I mean, there's no point sitting at home, twiddling your fingers, watching repeats of repeats, uh, binging on uh, social media, getting angry, and uh, being totally impotent as far as that change is concerned in the society. So this is something you need to think about. Okay, so Pipsy.net. Download the the application form. Other sites you can go to. You can go to uh, my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for the public. You can go to the the podcast of this program, which is 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. You can go to Defend and Extend Public Housing. Public housing, everybody's business. The Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. You can email me at info at pipsy.net or anarchistage at yahoo.com. And, yes, we've now entered the 21st century. We were, we are on the uh, uh, Instagram. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, go to pipsy, P-I-B-C-I-A-U-S, P-I-B-C-I-A-U-S. Don't forget this program. His podcast is broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3CR.org.au. This program is normally comes to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, but currently because of the lockdown, uh, we are broadcasting outside of the uh, studios, in makeshift uh, studios. I'm actually sitting under a beach umbrella with a number of... Uh, uh, blankets over the beach umbrella in order to get some type of uh, uh, reasonable sound. So uh, it's not as if we are uh, got tons of money, but we are broadcasting nationally and we'll continue to broadcast nationally to continue the different, different viewpoints about what is happening in the world today. Not what should be happening, but what is happening. All right, let's move on. Now... <sighs> Not only the uh, Victorian government, which is under the pump because of its "save a penny, spend a pound" approach to a to a hotel quarantine, currently the New South Wales government has launched an investigation into why so many passengers from the Ruby Princess were uh, released to the community a few months ago at the uh, beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. And it's interesting to note that there's been this. Uh, little battle between the uh, New South Wales Health Authorities and the Australian Border Force, you know, those wonderful people that keep us protected from, uh, uh, you know, uh, refugees in leaky boats trying to get this country, trying to get to this country or uh, locking them up for six to seven years, you know, the Australian Border Force. And uh, although the Morrison government initially said they would cooperate with the New South Wales inquiry, it's interesting to note that the major figures Employed by the federal government, which are involved in making the decision about releasing passengers from the Ruby Princess, will not be taking part in the inquiry at the request of the Morrison government. So, what do they have to hide? I mean, we see people like Daniel Andrews talk about the fact there was no Australian Defence Forces available, and the Defence Minister says there were, as far as hotel quarantine is concerned, we see the Morrison government uh, uh, deny their employee uh, the ability to testify at the New South Wales inquiry regarding COVID-19. This is the last thing we need as a community, this obfuscation, this uh, finger-pointing, this Blame is the last thing we need. We need to know exactly what happens so the same mistakes will not be repeated in the future. And that's important. Let's move to aged care. That's a favourite subject of mine. As I'm approaching 70 and sooner or later, I find myself in an aged care facility. That's if I'm lucky and I die before then. Now, aged care is under the government, is under the control of the federal government. It is not a state responsibility. The Commonwealth government is responsible for aged care facilities across the country. It provides resources for the aged care facilities. It has total control over the regulations which occur in aged care facilities. And if there's one really weak point that's been exposed in the COVID-19 crisis is the vulnerability of people in aged care facilities. And to a significant degree, this vulnerability, this inability for us as a community to tackle this issue is directly related to the fact that the aged care sector during the Howard regime was privatised. One of the most important decisions that was made by private agencies that entered the healthcare, so the aged care sector, was that they demanded the federal government remove ratios in terms of ratios in terms of staff and residents, remove the responsibility to have uh, a fully qualified nurses in many of these institutions, because. In order to make a profit, you make a profit in two ways in the aged care sector. You exploit those that are in your facilities, you exploit them financially, and if you look at some of the contracts that people enter into enter an in aged care facility or their family put them in the aged care facility, the contract go up to 400 pages. You skimp on staffing. You use labour hire firms to uh, create a casual poorly paid workforce which provides the minimum of service and obviously a scrape on food and services for those in the aged care facility. And it's no accident that we now have created an aged care uh, industry which is based on the concept of the more you pay, the better off your elderly relatives are. The more they pay, the better off they are. The less they pay... Or difficult it is. Now, I am quite familiar with aged care facilities, very familiar with them, as I've been treating people in aged care facilities for over four decades. I am very familiar with the situation. And in many aged care facilities, it's an exceptionally difficult life for those people. Obviously, some people do the best... Obviously, most of the staff do the best they can, but because of a lack of staffing levels, lack of staff... Lack of services, poor infrastructure, uh, is an issue. Now, I cannot believe that the Commonwealth Government had no plans in place for aged care facilities across the country as the COVID nineteen crisis gripped the population in March. I have, uh, and what we've seen is a piecemeal approach to aged care, a peaceful approach as far as COVID-19 is concerned. I mean, the difference to a significant degree between what's happening in Germany and what's happening here today is although they've pursued a policy of isolating people in aged care facilities and providing services, they've provided the resources to ensure that the services that are provided and the staffing levels that are there is enough to meet people's needs. In Australia, it's a different matter. I think it's important to realise there are many sections of society that are not suitable for profit. And there is one section that should not have been privatized, that's the aged care sector. To allow the profit to allow corporations to dominate the provision of aged care services through the provision of government money to private corporations to provide Services to the elderly, which uh, you know, which are substandard. We've had royal commission after royal commission, and we continue to have a royal commission currently in play into the aged care sector. I mean, it is it is it is an abysmal situation to a significant degree. This is what? The change that we have seen, which we will continue to see in the aged care sector, is directly related to the way this sector is organised to maximise profits in a significant number of situations for unaccountable corporations. And, and that, is, that is a huge problem because privatisation does have consequences. Obviously, there are some areas in which a private company can gouge a profit out of somebody, but there are many areas in society which rely on a cooperative, communal approach. It's, uh, it, it is a disaster. Not just a disaster in waiting, it's an unfolding disaster as we continue to try to battle now, this situation, and unless there are major reforms and the private sector is removed from the aged care sector, we will continue to have these issues over and over and over again. You are listening to the Anarchist Will This Week, broadcast across Australia uh, by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is Podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, um, now, I know there are some people in the community who think the COVID 19 crisis has as occurred as a result, a direct result of uh, governments or of private corporations infecting people in order to remove our rights and liberties. Well, I've got some news for this this minuscule section of the community. We don't have any rights and liberties in this country. A lot of people think that we have a constitutional right to freedom of speech. We don't have a constitutional right to freedom of speech. We have an implied right to freedom of speech during an election campaign. A lot of people think we have a constitutional right to uh, not answer questions if we're arrested. We don't have a constitutional right not to answer questions over the last 20 years. Legislation after legislation after legislation after legislation has been introduced and passed in Parliament by both major parties which has stripped Australians of most of their common law rights. And that's the key, common law. There is no constitutional protection. If a majority in both houses of Parliament decided, they decided with refugees to hold them indefinitely... Have the audacity to ask for uh, refuge if they decided to pass legislation to imprison every two-year-old, blue-eyed two-year-old because of the spawn of the devil. They could do it. There is no constitutional protection. You can be taken off the street by federal authority, held uh, in secret for a, I think it's ten days, questioned because. You may inadvertently have information that may assist the authorities in their investigation. If you don't answer these questions, you can be jailed for up to seven years. And this is not new legislation. We don't need a COVID-19 epidemic to take away those rights and freedoms being removed because we have no constitutional protection. It's quite interesting. When the debates occurred in the 1890s regarding Federation and the Australian Constitution, which was passed by citizens in every state... uh, The debate regarding constitutional human rights was lost. They were decided not to introduce constitutional human rights in the Australian Constitution. If you're a member of the CFMEU, under federal legislation, you can be uh, called to a Star Chamber meeting, and if you refuse to answer questions, you can be jailed for up to five years. That's because you're a member of... If I imported a billion dollars of ice into this country, I would have more rights than a member of the CFMEU, Construction, Forestry, Mining, Maritime and Energy Union. raft of legislation to a significant degree in this country and the main reason people like you and me are allowed to continue to talk is because we are totally ineffective we have minimal impact on society if the influence we have on society increased everything is in place constitutionally to ban any organizations we're involved in for example Public interest before corporate interest, which I'm the registered offer of, has been deemed to be an unacceptable... It has been deemed to be an organisation that does not fit community standards by Facebook. Now, misogynist, racist, pedophile, get their uh, say... But when you've got a legitimate political organisation that is talking about things like uh, the evils of privatisation, the shortcomings of corporatisation and globalisation, the effects of deregulation, an organisation which wants to forge a treaty or treaties with this nation's first nation's people, an organisation which is debating the issues of nationalising this country's mineral resources, we are deemed not to fit community. And at the same time, if the Federal Attorney-General deems public interest before corporate interest to be an organisation which poses a threat to the Australian government, not a security threat, but a threat can be an existential threat, then we can be banned tomorrow. And any organisation you're a part of can be banned tomorrow because the Federal Attorney-General does have that power. They so don't think you need a COVID-19 crisis to strip away our rights and liberties. As I said before, the Bernard Kaliri case is an excellent example, and I'll go through this case. It's very simple. Now Bernard Kaliri was the f- former Attorney General of the ACT, so he's no lightweight like you admit He was a former Attorney General of the ACT. He also did a lot of pro bono work for the uh, East Timorese independence movement. And he became involved in this this situation but it became common knowledge because of a leak from uh, the government that the Australian Security Services had bugged the offices of the East Timorese Cabinet, not because East Timor poses security threat to Australia, because they wanted to know what their policies were going to be regarding the oil that exists between the Timor Sea. And they wanted to... uh, know exactly what was going on. Now, years later, now, Bernard Cleary, uh, representative of the Timorese Government International Court of Justice, who found that the, uh, that the Australian authorities had not acted in a proper way. Years later, he and uh, Witness K have appeared in closed courts because of the National Security Act courts to which no reporter can go to, courts to which they can't discuss what's happening in those courts, the specific specific of those charges. And uh, it is a closed court. It continues to be a closed court. And during that court, it came out that another person involved in this case had been jailed for a year in the ACT, in a secret trial, and he was secretly jailed. So if you think you have constitutional rights, you do not have any constitutional rights, except two, freedom to choose any religion you want and possibly the freedom to get fair compensation if the state acquires your assets or land. So if you think again, you have constitutional protections. There are no protections for the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. I find it hilarious. The current government debate is about the Chinese Communist Party and the influence it has uh, in in Australia. And obviously, the Chinese Communist Party does have influence in Australia. I mean, it would be the last one to deny that. But at the same time, Australian security services around the world are involved in disinformation programs. They're involved in spying. They're involved in supporting you know opposition groups around. The world it is part of our policy. A few years ago, it was leaked that the wife of the former Indonesian president was, fine, was actually being buttoned, and they're supposedly our allies. So think again. So think again. If you think that the COVID-19 crisis is a response you know, to, uh, to to remove our rights and liberties, there's no rights and liberties to be removed. They have been removed, as we've seen with the declaring of a state of disaster in Victoria the Premier is now a virtual dictator. He can actually override any act of Parliament that has been passed in order to deal with the situation. Now, it's interesting that historically, the term dictator comes from the old Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire was involved in a civil war and things were really bad, the Senate would actually appoint a dictator would have unlimited power for a fixed period of time to try to deal with the situation, only for a fixed period of time. So that's where the concept uh, comes from. So it's interesting that in uh, 2020, when you declare a state of disaster, that so few individuals have so much power because I've always thought, not believed, but thought that the best way to tackle any emergency is by using the collective wisdom of the population as a whole. Obviously, there are nuts around the place. You could describe us as nuts. I don't know. You could, you couldn't. But there is the collective wisdom and to see so much power concentrated in so few hands to deal with what is an emergency, it, you know, makes you wonder in which direction this country is going in. As I said before, you can listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. A few, as I said, uh, we are, are now part of Instagram. That's right, I've been forced off Instagram. C-P-I-B-C-I-A-U-S. Follow us on Instagram. You can pick up the uh, Anarchist will this week and um, YouTube. Now, I've got a YouTube There is a YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. We put out a uh, uh, YouTube every uh, week or so. I mean, the next one that will go up the next day or two will actually be about the COVID-19 crisis and the uh, human COVID-19 uh, family. And the list goes on. So you can go to the YouTube. PIPS you go to the YouTube, Public Interest before corporate interest, Instagram, Pipsy. P I B C I A U S, Anarchist Media Institute, Anarchistmedia dot You can email me at info at anarchistmedia.org. You can go to or email me at info at pipsy net. I encourage you to go to the public interest before corporate interests. Website PIPSI, P I B C I dot net. Think about becoming a member of public interest before corporate interest. Have a look at the policies if you agree or if you find that or an interesting organisation. Download the application form. If you don't have a printer, you don't have a computer, you're interested in learning more about PIPSI, give me a ring on 0439 395 if you uh, are to go to my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano Toscano for the public. As I said before, you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Don't forget that this program is brought to you courtesy of the Community Radio Network across Australia. It is normally produced from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne because of the COVID-19 lockdown in Victoria. It is produced currently outside the studios of 3CR in Melbourne but broadcast through uh, the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. Uh, So there's a lot of things you can think about. There's a lot of time to think these days. But I think the thing that we should really be looking at is what are we going to do in the future? How are we going to deal with this crisis? Because COVID-19 will not go away. The consequences of COVID-19 will not go away. As the people of Beirut and the people of Lebanon are saying, they want major structural reform and changes in this in their country. We want the same in this country. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Tune in to the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events.